This is Tala with Drive Through Therapy. Very grateful that you stopped by tonight. I am going to be discussing toxic relationships or what we may call bad relationships. If you have been in a bad relationship, this episode is for you. If you are in a great relationship now but have been in bad relationships, then this episode is for you. Either way, this is going to allow you to evaluate or assess where you are and what you've been through to better understand some of the important themes that played a large role in why we stayed in toxic relationships or why we continue to stay in toxic relationships. So either way, this is going to be information that you will be able to use. So let's begin on characterizing the bad relationship. Let's understand what its constructs are so we can kind of label whether we are in a bad relationship or not, or even understand what is a bad relationship. So the first one is inequality. You know, you have usually a giver and a taker. And in in almost every relationship, that is the case. But in a toxic relationship, you'll see the, the scales tip the balance a little bit too much on one side than another. You'll have somebody who's always giving. Usually it's a codependent and someone that's always taken. And this is usually established in the beginning of the relationship. And in this case, the giver gives, 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 and the taker is then usually not stopping the giver, not helping them with their boundaries, not uh, thinking like there's anything wrong with it or that I should maybe tell them, hey, you're giving too much. Nope. A really good taker. You know, uh, for example, a narcissist will just keep taking. They'll just keep taking, taking, taking. And usually the giver doesn't mind because this is usually where they get their value from. They get their value from giving, 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 giving. And it's also their sneaky way of controlling someone in a relationship. Uh, it's kind of like, um, if I give you a lot of money, then I can control aspects of that relationship. But also, if I'm a giver, I usually give for the wrong motives. If I'm that much of a giver, right? It's usually for the motive of, I get my value from, from giving and from you needing me. And we discussed a little bit of that in the codependent episode or the condependent episode. So you'll hear a lot of themes tonight on codependency because in fact, many people that are in a really bad relationship, you'll notice they have a lot of codependent traits. So that's the first characteristic of bad relationships. So the next characteristic that really defines toxic relationships is the need to always compromise. There's always one that compromises. And this goes along with the giving too. But this compromising, I had to put it in a separate arena because it's really an emotional thing. You keep adjusting and adjusting and adjusting yourself in a relationship that is toxic. 
Meaning that one person is always asking you to adjust, to adjust and adjust and adjust. And you learn to compromise and compromise and compromise. And this is usually, again, not equal. It's one is one of the parts of the scale is usually tipped a little bit heavily on one side than the other. So it'll be very obvious if you have this because it feels like you're not free. You feel burdened in this relationship. You have to make so many adjustments. And the unfortunate part is that you're not hating them in this. It's a sneaky way of really hating you. Because I was trying to find out who was the person responsible for this quote, but it's a really great quote. It says, what I compromise with, I'll hate. It means that in a relationship, when I start giving a little bit of my boundaries away, a little bit of what's important to me. It slowly starts deteriorating me on the inside. It will become noticeable in this person that's giving and adjusting and adjusting and giving and giving and adjusting and compromising and compromising because it'll never be enough for the taker in this case, it'll never be enough. So the taker is just used to always making you change. And if you're the giver, you're always having to take the adjustment position. And if you attempt to stand up for yourself or stand up for your boundaries or make boundaries for that matter, the taker will usually have a very exaggerated reactive response to it because they're not used to you making boundaries. They don't like your boundaries. They're used to being the taker. And unfortunately, we have taught them that we are the giver. We have taught them that it's okay to take. And I don't want much in in return. I'll just keep giving you. So when you start asking for something in return, this is not good for the taker. They will lose their mind and you will start seeing them um, shift blame on you or do whatever it is that they do to eliminate the responsibility for them to make changes and for you to continue to do so. So, all right, the next characteristic that we are going to address is, in this case, whose priorities in the relationship are the most important? And to even specify a little bit more for you, whose emotions are the priority in the relationship. That's even more of what we're talking about. Whose emotions are the priority? Is it you or is it the other person or is it equal? Both of you are equal. Again, when the scales are tipped, not not healthy, not healthy. We want to keep the scales balanced as best as we can because that's a relationship of give and take. That's a relationship where you're growing together. That's a relationship where you're free together. So what I mean by emotions being equally important here is if one person is always having to accommodate the other person's emotions. So if the other person is having a tough day and every day they come from home from work and they have to talk about work and it's just too much and they want everybody in the household to feel like they do. If they're upset and irritable, then everybody has to accommodate and become upset and irritable just like that person in the household. And I say people in the household because because children could be involved as well. And so just in case 
children are involved, usually it's they're aware that the the parent or the partner in the house, the adult, comes in and they all have to accommodate this person's emotions. So really important characteristic here that defines an unhealthy, unbalanced relationship. The next characteristic I want to discuss is jealousy. I find this quite interesting because it is, it happens more often than we might admit or even consider as an unhealthy pattern in a relationship, which is the jealousy or distrust. Uh, and this looks like looking through phones, playing investigator Susie or investigator Bob, whichever investigator that you are, um, looking through their emails, just looking, looking, looking to see if this person is cheating on you or if they are to be trusted. But listen, the truth of the matter is if you are in a relationship with them, you just either trust them or get off the pot. It's the best way to think about it. So I think the trust is always a risk, always a risk in any relationship but without it, without taking that risk, this relationship could end up very unhealthy. And this toxicity will appear in the jealousy, the need to control someone and what they're doing and where they're at and all that fancy stuff that people do in relationships that think somehow they own this person or that they own their decisions. But it is the ego playing a part in here, whether you're the one searching or you're the one allowing the search to happen here. If you are the one searching and looking through stuff, a lot of the times you're really showing this person that you don't trust them. And not only that, listen, the truth of the matter is if the person is going to cheat or do something, you have no control over that. And I just need you to sit back and enjoy the relationship as it is. If you are anxious about the stuff that you don't know about or that you have questions about, you can confront the person or even better, look at their actions to tell you what it's about. And I don't mean look at, look through their stuff. I mean, look at their actions. If they are sleeping elsewhere every weekend, um, if they're not picking up the phone at night when they claim that uh, they're, I don't know, um, at home, if it's, it's gotta be something really obvious. You know what I mean? It's not like you're testing them, but things that you know that they're just not available. This is not an available person. You know, they have another life. So as long as you're honest with yourself, you will see those things. You'll be able to see them. But on the other hand, if you're allowing for your phone to be looked through and you're not making a boundary about that, then you're basically allowing the person's baggage, this person's baggage to be part of your baggage. Does that make sense? You really have to get this concept down. If you allow, if you open the door for phones to be looked at in a relationship, for the spying, for the, the, where are you at? What are you doing? The investigations and the, and all that stuff. If you, if we allow that in there, if you open the door for, in, for that in there, you will have a hard time closing it. So by the time this really escalates to the point of un, 
unbelievable amount of need of, for control and need for crisis management at this point. Um, it's just have gone too far. It's harder to close now because the expectations have already been placed that I look at your phone, you can look at my phone. And if you attempt to put a boundary in there, it's kind of like, Oh, what are you hiding? What are you hiding? All of a sudden, you don't want me to look at the phone instead of saying, no, I suddenly have boundaries and, and I, and I'm okay with that. So let's not even start relationships like that. We want to be able to have that boundary. If somebody's going to look through your phone, just stop them. Stop them. Be gentle and kind with them and tell them, you know what? A relationship is about trust. So I don't want a person to always need reassurance in the relationship one way or the other. That's also elements of a really bad relationship. If you're the person that requires reassurance all the time that this person is not going to cheat on you, this person is not going to do you wrong. If you're always needing that outcome, um, you're probably doing yourself harm being in this relationship because you're emotionally becoming just too controlling is the best way to describe it. And it's putting you in a bad mood. So you're not learning to enjoy the relationship. You're, you're attempting to come up with an outcome before you relax. You're attempting to know that this person is never going to cheat on you before you just relax and enjoy the relationship. And it's a false belief. So whether you're the one who's constantly requiring the reassurance, looking through the phones and all, or the person who's having to give reassurance all the time, who's allowing for a person to look at your phone, it's going to result in an overall tipping of the scales unbalancing in the relationship that's going to eventually lead to its decay. So let's not open up any of these doors. If somebody has baggage about their past, you're not there to fix their baggage. All you're there to do is to love them or leave them. Either way, it's a choice, right? But you're not there to resolve their baggage. You're not there to take responsibility for them by showing them your phone and saying, okay, here you go. Yeah, you've had bad crappy relationships. And yes, look at my phone. So you know, you can trust me. No, no, no. Because again, once you open that door, it gives this person some, an unintended message that yes, you need to control me. Yes. You need to look through my stuff because I'm not to be trusted, you know, and it doesn't help them take responsibility for their baggage. At this point, now you just took on the responsibility of their baggage and you're attempting to prove them uh, wrong about you. And that's not, that's not what you want to do because you'll be doing this forever. If the person has not taken a re- responsibility for their own baggage, for their own relationship, their past relationships, whatever they learned about that, please do not take the responsibility of proving them any different. That's a lot of work that you're trying to do. So even as a therapist, I can't do that. I have to sift through a lot of stuff with people. I have to help them take responsibility for their past. And the only reason why they allow me to do that is because, in fact, they expect me to. But in a relationship, the expectations are completely different. You are not their therapist. You don't have to challenge them that way. All you're in charge of really is your boundaries, is understanding your priorities and how you're going to convey that without giving mixed messages that result in even greater confusion and your needs and their needs not being met. So we don't want any of that to play in. The final one, which would be the obvious one, 
in determining whether this relationship is bad is domestic violence, physical abuse, right? Emotional abuse, uh, putting you down, putting, bringing out your past and shoving it in your face, especially when you're not proud of it. The things that they know about you, they can use to hurt you. That's not a good thing. That definitely, definitely conveys an unhealthy, unbalanced relationship. And the more I take it and accept it, I'm sending them the message that it's not that important to me. And the more I justify their behavior and I kind of say, oh, well, they had a rough day. They didn't really mean it. They've said it before. They don't really, it's kind of like I'm justifying all that and it's giving them the message that they can, that's how you talk to me. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it because I don't really care. I'll take it because I'd rather deal with you than be alone. So these are only a few characteristics that determine a bad relationship. Of course, there are many, many more, but I would like to just limit it to those here. If you have more than than that, then of course, you know, you are in a bad relationship. Keep uh, your awareness on the red flags from the beginning of the relationship. You'll be able to see those red flags. That is, if you're honest with yourself, you'll be able to see them clearly. So this takes me to the next part of this discussion, which is why do people stay in toxic relationships? Why? Why do they stay in there? What is, what is all this mystery behind that? So <clears throat> beyond just the great sex, I'm just kidding. I'm sure, I'm sure it's, it's really spicy after those fights and the, the makeup sex is, is fabulous, but that's not really why people stay for so long in those relationships. The number one reason people stay is out of familiarity. Whether we admit it to ourselves or not, the unknown is scary. Going to live from a two-income household to a one-income household is kind of new and scary. When you share money, when you share children, the dynamics will change and that's scary. So leaving a relationship in general is a scary decision because it is going into the unknown. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. So familiarity is the reason why people stay. We are so afraid of the unknown. We are willing to get beat up every day, to get um, spoken to in a harsh, inhumane way, just so we don't have to expose ourselves to the unknown. It's really interesting. It's really interesting, but it is very true. It's very true as well. The second reason why people stay in a relationship is out of fear. Fear of abandonment, fear of being alone, fear of rejection. And the best way to be free of fear is to confront it. So there's no way of knowing until you confront that fear. And as you're confronting it, you are taking away all the mystery that makes this fear alive and you're bringing it down to earth something that's workable not just this big doom looming fear that is the worst case scenario so face that fear if you're in a toxic relationship start facing your fears and once you face them they no longer have the power over you that they used to have so keep that in mind. The next reason why people stay in toxic relationships is 
the keeping of a fantasy or delusion that they've had about this person. So it takes a lot of work in the beginning when we are mismatched with someone, but they have some of the qualities that we like, right? We're lonely. We meet them at the right time when we're really lonely and we're so anxious to get into a relationship that they could be great looking guys and they have some of the traits that we like. And the rest of what they end up having is the fantasy we've built on them. You'll know this because if you're in a relationship with someone that is toxic for you, in the beginning you saw red flags, you just continue to justify. If you were really honest with yourself, you just continue to justify them. And we do this because we're lonely. We do this because we are afraid of rejection. We're afraid for the right person because they may not come. All these other justifications that we have that keep us anxious when we pick someone out. So in a lot of ways, the codependency really kind of shows up there. We create this delusion about this person that isn't there, but we'll take whatever little information we have and then we'll create this fantasy land. And a lot of the times when we don't want to leave, we just really don't want to leave whatever fantasy we've built up about this person, not really what they're doing. Because if we just use what they're doing, we really know we've had enough. It's They're way too much, but it's that fantasy that keeps us going, whether it's the fantasy of them being your high school sweetheart and you wanted to grow old with them and what have you, or it is the father of your child and that you want to keep them or the mother of your child and you want to be with them forever. Whichever fantasy that you've been supporting for a while, obviously reality is not supporting it in a toxic relationship. That's what that means. Something is not congruent. Okay. So when you notice that it's not matching up and there's contrast between my expectation about this person, my delusions, my fantasies about what this person is versus what they're actually doing, what is reality, then I need to take responsibility and eliminate the denial and see the situation as it is rather than what I want it to be. It takes me to our final reason why people stay together in this toxic type of love. And that is hope. Now, many of you think, well, hope is, is not a bad thing to have. So I'm going to tell you the story because I heard it about a week or two ago and it's been on my mind. And it's the story of Pandora. And Pandora was the first woman in Greek mythology, the first human woman in Greek mythology. And she was given to a man um, by a god who was deceived by this man. And as a punishment, he was given Pandora. Of course, women being punishments once again in history. But that's okay. That's not the point of this. Anyways, Pandora was also given a box and told not to open it. Yes, yes, I know. There's great parallels with Eve and the apple. So, yes. Um, but again, not the point, people. Don't distract me. Um, so anyways, Pandora, of course, opens the box. And out comes famine, disease, and basically all the evil that humanity is facing. So uh, when she sees this happening, she gets scared and she closes the box right away. But what she leaves inside is hope. 
most people, when they hear about their story, automatically think, whoa, they, that hope is gone. It's, it's in the box. But this is the thing, you guys. Hope was in the box. What the heck is hope doing with all the world's evil? And I'd like to think that the hope has two faces, two sides. And hope can be dangerous in that I can live in hope when it comes to a relationship. And I can live in the hope that it will somehow change. Go back to what it used to be. Hope that my partner one day will get it and will wake up and see how great I am. Or all of a sudden begin to take this relationship and its needs as priority. All the wonderful, dangerous things that hope can provide for us. So again, remember that Pandora kept hope inside. But what the heck was hope doing in that box to begin with, you guys? It's just as dangerous if it's used in the wrong way. Hope is a wonderful thing. So let's use it for the good. Now, we have ended our discussion on toxic relationships, what they are, and why people stay in them. So this way I can demystify that for you if you happen to be the one in confusion or if you happen to just have had the confusion in the past and would like to get some light shed on it. Either way, I hope this has helped you on your journey and self-awareness. If you know anybody that can use this, once again, please feel free to share and subscribe for upcoming episodes so you don't miss out on any topic. Hey, you guys, I want to add a final note that if you are in a toxic relationship, you have a lot of power, a lot of power. Do not give your power away to anyone. Live and stand in your power. And one of my favorite people just recently said a quote that her father used to tell her when she complained about her husband every day. She, he would tell her, you're not a tree, you can move. So I like that. We are not held hostage in this relationship. We choose in a lot of ways through the boundaries we enforce, through our, the priorities we, we make and who we make priority, what messages we send to the person that we are in a relationship with. So just be aware of that. And like I've said before, awareness is the cure to everything. Just being aware, being knowledgeable will help you work on what you need to work on and do what you need to do to resolve whatever the situation is when it comes to a toxic relationship. Thank you so much for spending time with me again. And I'm sending you love and healing. This has been an episode of Drive Through Therapy. Thank you.